0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce The Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash Track And thanks.
1: Is it okay if I call this episode... Spotify? Uh, yeah. How do you spell that? I think it's spelled beep, B-E-E-E-E-E-P. That's one way of spelling it. Yeah, well, Spotify's been in the news lately. Have you
0: noticed? I have noticed it, and uh, it's actually pretty fascinating. And I'm wondering if this is, is this Spotify's squeezing of the pimple uh, moment where it's like it's all coming down on them and there's going to be a huge blap of pus that comes out of Spotify, because I've been waiting for this. I've, I'm waiting for this moment. When does the unsustainability of streaming really start to have an effect on the streamers? Maybe this is the beginning of the end, or maybe this is just a blip, who knows? But there's some crazy stuff
1: going on in, at Spotify and uh, and streaming in general because of it. Musicians have been complaining about Spotify for years, particularly because Spotify has one of the lowest payout rates. I think YouTube is much lower. Anything that's ad supported is lower. And and the problem with Spotify is it's partly ad supported and it's partly premium. So they have to mix the two to get what comes to be a lower rate than Apple Music and, and other services. But even so, nobody pays. You don't, you don't
0: make a lot of money on any of these streaming services unless you are, uh, you have a, a, a fabulous amount of fans and, and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's, it, the
1: payout from streaming is is just bad
0: well, for most people.
1: I want to get to that in a minute because I think that the music industry is a very strange form of economics. First, why is Spotify going through this right now? It's because of this audio program by Joe Rogan that they paid $100 million for. It, apparently, he was extremely popular. He is a right wing sort of fox news ish kind of and and he had been on YouTube with millions and tens of millions of followers, also he was on serious x m ah okay,
0: and he was also available as a podcast on Apple podcasts right so he was
1: available in a lot of places he 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 previously produced a podcast now he produces an exclusive audio program for spotify which which does not merit the name. Podcast, right. Because a podcast is something that anyone can listen to with any kind of app that uses RSS for distribution. So the problem is that he had this one particular episode with a lot of COVID misinformation. And this wasn't opinions. This was COVID misinformation. A doctor who was questioning the vaccine and things like that. No no point going into it. The problem is that a number of musicians started by Neil Young, followed by Joni Mitchell, Nils Lofgren. I think there might be a few other smaller ones. I think Crosby, Stills,
0: and Nash also – uh, joined Young and having their music removed, right. requesting to have their music removed. Right.
1: What they could, because they might not always own the rights to the recordings. This is, we'll get into this in a second, because this gets complicated. And so on the right, people were saying, ooh, you want to censor Joe Rogan? You want to cancel him? And I will refer anyone to the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that talks about censorship being something that the government does and not that a private company does. Spotify is a platform So they have the right to remove anything they want. By the way, while all the people were complaining that Joe Rogan was going to get canceled, Spotify was quietly removing at least 70 old episodes of his audio program in which he used the N-word. I believe it's up to 100 now. And he made some extremely serious racial comments. I don't see anyone on the right talking about that being canceling him or censoring him. It's really just down to this one COVID episode. So here are the problems. Spotify claims that they're not Going to censor and then they censor. And people on the right, it's like, don't cancel him, but he's being canceled anyway. I mean, he's not being canceled because, you know, people are going to listen to him. Spotify paid $100 million for this guy, knowing who he was. This was not a surprise that this would happen eventually. According to an article in The Verge, I'll put a link in the show notes. Spotify. Did this because they wanted to be able to negotiate exclusive contracts, I think with Amazon, Tesla, other companies. So they wanted to have some kind of exclusive that they could use as leverage. Now, you can't get that in music anymore, or very rarely. There, We went through a period of exclusives. They may have been a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then that's kind of died off. Doesn't work. Doesn't really. This stuff just, you, well, the exclusivity
0: would work for the publicity for the streamer, but the. But the effect for musicians was not what was anticipated. There wasn't a huge
1: groundswell of demand. Well, you're not going to change streaming services because a particular musician isn't available. You'll find another way to listen to it, maybe YouTube illegally or whatever. Because we're at the point now, exclusives worked when streaming was young and people weren't necessarily committed. But now they have your listening history that's built up over years. You're not going to give that up to go to another streaming service. Well, I, I I think
0: that also speaks to the fact that streaming is now everywhere, whereas ten years ago there weren't that many oh, even people. Even five
1: years ago, when yeah. Apple Music came out in twenty sixteen, I think 2015, 2016. fifteen, twenty sixteen. I'm thinking
0: of services like Rhapsody that go back, that go way back. Yeah, okay. uh, even Spotify that goes way back to two thousand eight, two thousand nine.
1: Is that what? Nice, but not in the U S. No. They they were international. They had to come up with licensing deals for the U.S., which, which slowed their launch in the U.S. That's right. So I want to suggest something. The way the music industry was structured pre-streaming was economically unfounded. In other words, people were buying music that they weren't listening to. I, I mean, you may have bought an album that you listened to once or twice or 10 or 20 times. But most of the time, you weren't listening to that music. But you were paying the full price for an album. You are also buying music, I want to say sight unseen, but ears unheard. You might, I'm trying to think of when Yes came out with, was it the Tormato album in 1980? I'd been a Yes fan for years. And all of a sudden, this record comes out. and This is terrible. I bought it because I was a fan and I liked the band. And it was terrible. It was bad. Couldn't take it back because I didn't like it. You know, I could return something I buy that's broken or that uh, there's a gift I didn't like, but not with records. Also, the number of CDs and albums over the years that have been given as gift, particularly around Christmas, that people may not want and may never listen to more than once or twice. So it's, it's an industry that historically was built on a false system of economics that you pay full price up front and then... Whatever happens, you it's too bad on you. is it like automobiles?
0: <laughs> I mean, is it I mean you you buy the thing and then well,
1: well, I guess you could test drive an automobile, can't you? Of course. it's okay, music and books are like this, and they always have been. Films are a little bit different because you don't really you watch them once, right? And and books it's kinda of the same. You watch the you read them once in most cases. And so cultural things, you're buying them without knowing if you like them. Even when you pay to go to a film, even if you're not buying it outright, you're buying these things without knowing if you're going to like them. Music is the one that you would repeatedly use, but you can get tired of a record pretty quickly. Uh, I bought Metal Machine Music by Lou Reed. I listened to it once to say I listened to it, and then never again.
0: Yes, but I don't think your expectation was that you were ever going to listen to it again. But But certainly there are records that we've both purchased. That we've yeah. been disappointed by. Tom, you mentioned the Yes album, and of course yeah. that happens. Yeah.
1: So the thing is, we had a, an economy that was, I don't know, didn't make sense. And now the economy makes a lot more sense. We had Andy Doe on... I'm thinking this is more than two years ago because he stopped working in the music business when lockdown hit in March 2020. And we were talking about streaming music with him. And he was saying that streaming actually makes more sense because musicians are paid when people listen to the music. You're paid per listen. Now, the amount that's paid per listen, that's the, that's contestable. But if music is popular, people are going to listen to it and the musicians will get paid. Wasn't that the,
0: the, the idea on paper? For streaming, it's like at some point a service will reach uh, an equilibrium with listeners' subscriptions and equitable payouts to musicians. I mean, that's a pipe dream, though, really,
1: isn't it? Well, the problem is the payouts. All these streaming services have been 10 bucks a month since they launched. And we've had a fair amount of inflation. They should easily go up to 15 bucks a month. When you think about it, you can get a family plan with Apple Music. You can get student accounts with some of them. Some people only pay a few dollars a month for streaming. So one of the problems is we're not paying enough for streaming music. Uh, Now, how many people would pay 20 bucks a month? I'm not sure that would be easy. I would. I I would pay more. And
0: I understand, but but I understand the value I, I think a lot of people obviously don't think of music as something that's was created by something. They think of it as we've gone over this a million times: wallpaper, decorations, yeah. cosmetics, exactly. whatever.
1: I can't see I can't see them paying more. Now I think Amazon in the U.S. just raised the price of their Prime subscription. Is it twelve ninety nine, thirteen ninety nine a month?
0: I'm not sure, but it's definitely going up a a, a substantial substantial
1: amount. amount. Yeah, and do you know why it's going up? I don't know. Well, Amazon paid $250 million for the rights to a Lord of the Rings series, which is based on—it's a kind of prequel to Lord of the Rings that's coming out in September, and this is just for the rights, and I don't know how much it's costing to film it. They're hoping that this is going to be their Game of Thrones, and so they have to recoup the money somehow.
0: Well, do I still get free shipping?
1: You still get free shipping.
0: Okay, well, all right, okay. See, that's the thing.
1: But that's that's the thing. Amazon Prime Video is very different from the others because it's a service bundled with something that has no link to it, right? You could look at Apple subscriptions and say Apple TV Plus and Apple Music can go in the same subscription, but that's not the same as like getting free shipping on cat food. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. So on the one (laughs) hand, music streaming has to go up in price in order to pay musicians equitably. On the other hand, and... I'm going to link to Alex Ross's article in The New Yorker a couple of days ago where he's talking about streaming and the poor payouts and all that. And when I was reading this, I was thinking there is one argument that I have not seen anyone make about streaming. Streaming is a zero-sum economy. If you're listening to Taylor Swift, you can't be listening to The Clash. So the more popular artists there are that people are listening to, the less unpopular artists get listened to. Whereas with records, you could buy as many CDs as you want with books. You should see my pile of books that I've bought that I haven't yet read. You're paying that money up front. Whereas with streaming, and this is also the same with films, and I have no idea how the streaming movie economy works, but with streaming, there's only you can only listen to one thing at a time. Uh, someone tweeted
0: yesterday uh, uh, an interesting idea that Spotify, sh- instead of spending money, $100 million on Joe Rogan, uh, they should spend $100 million on uh, promoting the music that we'd never get to hear. And I replied back, I said, they don't want to be a record label. Yep. They don't want to do this. And guess what they announced? We're going to spend $100 million on promoting marginalized groups now i don't know what that is I mean, i don't know what a i mean who's marginalized on Spotify isn't everybody there? I mean everybody who can possibly be on Spotify is there, so i'm not really sure who they're intending to promote, but this is what that this is what they have to go through in order to justify keeping uh this Rogan fellow they're changing the idea of what a streaming service is if they're going to groom and promote and push they're no longer just a, a neutral platform that just plays the music that you pay for. They're pushing, they're doing more to push music in your direction, which is something they've been doing anyway. There are plenty of people who've written about uh, how, you know, the playlist is the thing and how promoted playlists are, are, are a bad thing as well. So, um, but I thought that was interesting that they're, n- they're now having to, you know, make excuses to... to to make up for the things that they spent $100
1: million on. Okay, it's important to know that Spotify said that the company will invest $100 million for, quote, licensing, development, and marketing of music and audio content from historically marginalized groups. Note that that is audio content. Now, they might end up becoming a publisher and signing some musicians exclusively, but I think this is still more about Audio spoken word, audio content. I won't use the P word because it's not. I think that they're trying to, they're seeing the popularity of podcasts and they're trying to, they're trying to make their platform sticky by providing audio content. You know, that podcast company Gimlet got bought up by Spotify, I think for 230 million a couple years ago. It was very popular. In fact, I listened to, I really enjoyed their first podcast, which was about how they set up the business. And it was kind of interesting to see how they go about, you know, making a business plan, talking with venture capitalists, et cetera. It was kind of understood that they were set because once you're setting up a business involving venture capitalists, your goal is to sell it off, right? Your goal is not to run it in perpetuity. So it was interesting to listen to that, knowing now what happened. So I don't think Spotify is actually... I can't see them being a music label. That's not useful to them or to the musicians. Right. Or
0: But they still are involved in the content. And um, that, I think, is a little different. Like, for, I can't imagine Apple or Tidal, although Tidal is owned by the musicians, aren't they? Isn't it? So... But I mean, I can't imagine them dabbling in the content as much as Spotify seems to want to dabble in the content here.
1: Well, I also would like to wait and see if they actually do spend this money. If you follow The Verge at all, you'll notice that I believe his name is now pronounced way Patel, who is from Wisconsin, has been writing about the Foxconn factory that was supposed to be built in Wisconsin that is... Last, I think, he said, it's turned into a food coloring factory. It was supposed to be this big <laughs> right. thing that the former president touted as like this, you know, Foxconn. They're the company that assembles iPhones, among other things, that they were coming to the U.S. and this big, huge, you know, multi-billion dollar investment with lots of state money going to Foxconn. And they yes. did build a couple of buildings and they did nothing with them. So this could just be a Spotify announcement to placate people.
0: Well, $100 million when it, ta- when it comes to marketing that's not really a lot of money. They could use it for anything and say we used it for marginalized groups,
1: whatever. They didn't say what the... Yeah, they could run ads with marginalized groups. I'm assuming this is people of color. That's what I'm assuming too, but... But would marginalized groups count groups in different countries where colors are different and, yeah. you know... Like, it would be North Africans in France, it would be Turks in Germany, the groups resulting from immigration in different countries. So it's hard to know what that means. But I think the problem is this. We had a false economic model for music that meant that musicians could survive, which was good. We have a new economic model, which coincides with the fact that anyone can produce an album in their basement and release it on streaming services. So we have way too much music and... I'm not a, I don't have a degree in economics. I've read enough to know that there's this thing called supply and this thing called demand. And when supply can be limited to the number of hours that someone listens to music, the demand is never going to feed everyone. And that bell curve is going to be the middle of the bell curve, the high part is going to be really slim as. The the dozen or so artists who are making all the streams are pretty much shutting out all the rest. So basically, if you're Taylor Swift, Adele, Billie Eilish, or Drake, you are killing other musicians. Yeah, it's too bad. and, and By being too popular.
0: And there's no other outlets either. I mean, unfortunately, we've got this pandemic going on, and there's not even a way for musicians to to get around streaming and perform. They can't even make money by performing live.
1: So what you need to know about Neil Young is he sold the publishing rights to his music a year or so ago for well north of $100 million. So he doesn't really care anymore. Now, there's two rights. There's performance rights and publishing rights. The publishing rights are what's paid to the songwriter. That comes off the top. In fact, songwriters might even get more than performers in terms of streaming revenue the the songwriter part is paid directly to the songwriters. The performance part is paid to record labels who then pay a small percentage to the artist. So I think songwriters get more. If you own the masters, you can do what you want. So if you haven't sold your actual recordings, you can take them off a streaming service. Now, it's not the case for everyone. Bruce Springsteen sold his masters and publishing not one go for 250 million. Bob Dylan sold his publishing last year and his masters recently for a total of around five or six hundred million. So they no longer have the right to even do that. Their record labels could, but they can't take the music off. And a lot of people have been talking about Taylor Swift, and that's really interesting. Taylor Swift pulled her music from Spotify in 2014 for a while because it w- they weren't paying enough. Since then, Taylor Swift had a bit of a kerfuffle with her record label who owns her masters, so she's re-recorded her albums. So if she were to take her new recordings off Spotify, then the old ones that the record label owns are the ones that people would listen to, and she doesn't want that.
0: Yeah, it's weird. That's a weird situation. I think that's a very weird situation. Um Surprisingly, a lot of other artists haven't pulled their music, and they certainly could. Um, I'm sure the estate of Prince could make an issue. I'm sure the estate of the Michael Jackson people could, could attempt to try to pull Michael Jackson's music. But they haven't yet. Um, Bob Dylan's still there. uh, Madonna's still there. A lot of, you know, U2 is still there. I mean... Well,
1: as I just explained, Dylan doesn't own his masters anymore, so he can't pull his music. Right, but I think... His record label could. Uh, Yeah. But my point is is that
0: I would think people of this ilk can make the request... And you know, like Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young did, they said, "Look, we really would like to have our yeah, music." Yeah, but pulled. David
1: Crosby said he would, but he doesn't have control of his music anymore. Talking about his solo stuff because he sold his rights a while ago.
0: But are they so, going to pull his music for him because he asked
1: nicely? No, okay. they're not going to do okay. that. The, 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 whoever owns the performance rights is going to keep those. Okay. They don't want to shut out a revenue stream. That's what I was
0: wondering. I mean, how much how much cred do they want to give the superstar? And it's like, well, sorry, pal.
1: Well, David Crosby isn't a superstar. Well. He may have been 50 years ago. Yes. Drake is a superstar. Yeah. You know, Billy Iwish is a superstar. That's the thing. You're right. I, I can't imagine anyone that big pulling their music from Spotify. I can't. It's too important for them. Yeah they get such a big piece of the pie. Because here's another thing that people don't understand, the way that the music royalties are calculated. If you play music by your local band on Spotify, they don't get paid for your plays. What happens is that at the end of the month, or maybe it's week, long, I don't know, they put together all the streams, and they look at who got the percentage of the streams, and that's how they put the money. They don't if you just stream your favorite band 24 hours a day, they're not necessarily going to get any of the money. It's a total, it's an overall percentage of what gets streamed. And, and that's something musicians have been complaining about a lot, that they're not remunerated for their streams, but they're remunerated on a percentage calculated globally for all the streams. Well, you know, but the funny thing is, um,
0: well, maybe it's, not, maybe it's not funny. It's uncanny that <laughs> before... Before streaming people would love to have their stuff on the radio even though they wouldn't make any money from it right you just that's just the way it works in the United States yeah. artists do not make money when their music's played on the radio composers do but the performers don't yet yeah, that everybody seemed hunky dory with that plan but it's it's the streaming thing it's because it's not one faucet it's 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 everybody's faucet. Your It's your faucet, my faucet, but it's not one faucet. We're all not listening to the same yeah. radio station, you know, at least geographically. You know, we're not in Boston all listening to the same station. We're not in Fort Worth listening to the same station. We're not in Portland listening to all the same stations. Um, so there's no consistency. The only consistency is the big superstars who have huge appeal on disparate Platforms.
1: Yeah. I, I think the main difference there is that when an artist was getting their music on the radio in the seventies and the eighties and, and on MTV, things like that, they were promoting an album that was considered to be an advertisement, a three minute or four minute advertisement for an album or for an upcoming concert tour. So they saw that as a way of making money afterwards. Whereas now that's not the case. Listen, hearing a, a song on a streaming service doesn't mean you're going to buy the album. You may listen to it a couple more times on the streaming service, which nets two cents for the artist at the end of the month.
0: The likelihood that I'm actually going to buy every album of every track that I listen to on a streaming service, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I just don't have that much money. I never did. So. And
1: people aren't buying records anymore, and that's the whole problem. We went from an economy that was based on a flawed model, In the sense, as I said before, people were buying things they weren't necessarily listening to. There may be albums you listen to a hundred times, there may be albums you listen to twice. Balance it out, it's closer to the two than the hundred, right? Because for the same reason, you can't listen to three albums at a time. There's only so many hours you can listen to music. But you were still paying for all those albums to have the right to put them on whenever you wanted. And that's what it was. In a way, you were kind of licensing the music for your listening on demand
0: that's why i i am not uncomfortable with the idea of paying more for streaming access i would well i'd consolidate a lot of services but i would buy i would easily pay one service 30 40 a month i think it's worth it i mean that's only that's what two three cds that's that's really still nothing.
1: Yeah, I don't think most people would go for that. I think 15 is probably right. an equitable amount. When you consider how many people there are, I mean, if this increases the the amount of money given to artists by 50%, well, that's a lot. But is it 50%? So my Apple Music subscription is $100 a year. That's 8.25 whatever per month. It's not the $10. And someone who has a student plan, that's five. And someone has a family plan, that's a few per person. So you've got the disparity in pricing that is hard to make sense of. And of course, you go to other countries where the cost of living is lower, the pricing is lower. We're among the highest prices in US, Europe and all that. Go to India, I have no idea what Spotify costs, but it can't be a lot. Uh, So I I think there does need to be a re- All these prices need to go up. We've had inflation and they're at that sort of sweet spot where they just, you know, less than 10 bucks makes it sound like it's not a lot. We, We talked about pricing a couple of episodes ago when I went to the iTunes store and saw that most of the top 10 or 20 albums were less than $10. And $10 was the standard album price when the iTunes store was launched in 2004. So prices in... 18 years have not gone up, if anything, they've gone down to try and tempt people to buy the, rec- buy the albums, I was going to say records, buy the digital albums instead of streaming them. And I guess, see, we went from a scarceness economy to a spigot economy. Like, it's everywhere, why would we buy it? And that's-
0: That's problematic. I mean, there's still a small fraction of people, me and you- who Still buy albums occasionally,
1: yeah, but I buy a lot
0: less than I used of to, of course. Absolutely, of course. Um, you know, the funny you, you were talking about the price, just as an example, I remember when I was a kid, you could buy a record for like three or four dollars, and by the time that I stopped buying physical media, re- individual albums were 14, 15, 17, 20 dollars. So, there's people can live with the price increase. I think on uh, on a streaming system. I just I just don't ever. Th- I think it's going to crush under its own weight. It can't. It's unsupportable ex- as we've been saying, except for the the most popular.
1: But the problem is that these are tech companies who are running this, and we talked about this recently. If it was record labels running it, they would have to make it more supportable for all the artists, or at least for. You know bell curve right the 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 ones that don 't go too far down the bell curve that kind of thing because no record label or no book publisher expects all of their content to sell well it's it 's factored into their calculations that you have one artist who sells millions and you have others who sell hundreds and it balances out, and you get rid of the 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 people at the low end over time, but they 're not expecting everything to sell, so the problem is that we have tech companies serving up data which to them has no value. It's just data. It's just, it's vanilla. It doesn't matter what kind of music it is. And they don't care what kind of music people listen to because they get paid no matter what. They don't care if it's Joe
0: Rogan. They don't care about that content either. It's just content. But that's what I'm getting at. It's like now they have to dabble in it. And as soon as the platform has to dabble in it, they're no longer just a platform. They're a producer or they're a content management or they're something.
1: It's not even being a platform because Apple had the Joe Rogan podcast on Apple Podcasts, but Apple Podcasts is a directory. The difference with Spotify is this is content that they own that they are paying a lot of money for. That's where they become a publisher, and that changes everything.
0: This is the part of the show where I remind you that we are supported by your contributions to us via Patreon, and we'd appreciate it if you could Work us into your monthly budget and become a Patreon patron yourself. That would be great. Just visit
1: patreon.com slash the next track. What is your next track pick? I've talked about Morton Feldman several times on this show. He's one of my favorite composers. And I've been listening to one of his records today. And I wanted to pick it because, first of all, it's a fairly recent release. And second of all, it's kind of interesting the way it's recorded. So this is a piece called For Benita Marcus, which is was one of his students, I believe, performed by Aki Takahashi. It's a piano piece. It's about 74 minutes long. It's Feldman's late stuff is these little phrases that just keep coming and going, kind of like waves, little wavelets that come and go, and that they the melody slowly change. It's very minimal, not minimal, Philip Glass, Steve Reich, repetitive, but minimal in not much going on. I love this music. It's delicious. This recording came out in 2020. It's the latest of Mode Records' complete Morton Feldman edition. What I found interesting listening to this this morning, streaming from Apple Music, is the way it's recorded. And we talked about this a while ago when we were talking about, I believe when we were talking about headphones and speakers. It's recorded in a way where the lower notes on the piano are coming more out of the left speaker and the higher notes coming more out of the right. So it's as if I'm sitting at the keyboard listening to the music. And since I'm sitting on my desk with speakers on my desks that are relatively close, what we call near field listening, this is really obvious. If I was sitting in a different listening position, it wouldn't be so obvious. I'm not saying I like this method of recording, but I find it curious why someone would choose to do that to put the listener in the position of the performer. I find that really interesting. It's a, a very beautiful recording, very fluid and and just lovely. I mean, Feldman is wonderful. So Morton Feldman for Benita Marcus on Mode Records. Doug, what have you got?
0: I have a, a record, the first record by a band called Mallow. And Mallow was a band that was uh, from uh, Southern California, Mexican horn band, I want to call them. They were somewhat similar to other bands at the time. This was in the early 70s, like Mandrill and, uh, yeah, I don't know, there were other big Mexican horn bands. It's all, it's, I don't know why I call them that, as if it's a genre. But anyway, um, I I hadn't thought of Mallow in a really long time, and it popped up, and I'm going to grab their first album and listen to it. The, the other thing that I remember about Mallow was that It featured uh, Jorge Santana, who is Carlos's (laughs) younger brother or older brother. I don't know. Uh, And for a time, um, Jorge was was somewhat popular. I remember seeing him on a TV show playing a concert in Mexico with a huge band behind him. I mean, like 30 guys behind him. And he's at this huge festival I might have been, he might have been billed as Mallow. I don't know. But uh, Mallow is the band. It's not him. Uh, There have been many guitar players since Jorge left the band and left this earth, I should also say. But anyway, I thought I'd give it a listen because I really like that stuff. I really like Mandrill. I have a couple of Mandrill albums. And Mallow is somewhat similar. So, Mallow. By Mallow is my next track.
1: I just want to point out it's spelled M-A-L-W, not M-A-L-L-O-W, because I was looking it up while you were talking. And Wikipedia lists members of the band, former members, as about 50 people who've been through this band. So this has really changed a lot. And also, Mallow means bad in Spanish. Yeah, Badass.
0: This was episode number 229 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit TheNextTrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining, so your support is what keeps us going. Visit Patreon.com slash TheNextTrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.